We asked the question about blessing this past Wednesday, and it was during Bible study. And this idea of what is blessing, what is blessing? And the definition of the word blessed, the word literally means happy. Happy. And of course, that seems a very gross oversimplification. It, it, blessed just can't mean happy. It can't be that simple. And so we threw around some similar terms. One, one was carefree. One was carefree. So this idea of carefree, and I think that works. To be carefree is to be free of care. And if I was free of care, boy, that'd make me happy. <laughs> Blessed. Blessing or happiness or peace. Can we truly find it? Well, yes, we can. Yes, we can. Paul has been speaking to the Galatian churches about their relationship with Jesus, and, and he has reminded them last time in chapter 2 that if they've believed in Jesus and, and what he accomplished on the cross, that they no longer have to be slaves to pressures that are a part of traditional signs of inclusion in that Jewish society. Pressures to these dietary laws, or as we've seen, they've, they've gotten hung up on things like circumcision, but the Galatian audience is struggling to listen to Paul. And so Paul has to, has to kick it up a notch. So we're going to see what this means to us this morning and why it matters in 2022. Paul says, you foolish Galatians, I imagine if I just stood before you and I called you out like that, there would probably be a plethora of emotions. Uh, Paul certainly, I believe, probably got their attention. Uh, preachers don't usually lead off with calling the congregation foolish. But he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He, he spares no expense in calling this congregation out. And, and this idea of someone bewitching the audiences, it, it's probably one of those rhetorical questions, you know, the, the questions that are asked in a large room that, that uh, no one really responds, but, it, but it's meant to, to spur thought or, or conversation maybe at lunchtime. Well, these believers, and I call them believers and this is why, Paul has written this letter to the Galatian church, and so that implies that these folks in this church for them to be a part of the church, they have trusted, at some point, they've trusted in the claims that, Jesus, they, that Paul and Barnabas made about Jesus, that Jesus came to deal with sin. And so they've come to, they've come to realize that, they've come to faith, and, and so they've come to understand the importance of the crucifixion. But now, evidently there's some distortion over what these believers understand. Maybe some waffling. There may be claims about Jesus as Messiah, the prophesied anointed one, uh, uh, the one who came to fulfill all the, the, the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. So maybe it's questions about that, or maybe, maybe these believers, rather than do the hard work of thinking. You, you know, it, it may not be for you, but see, for me, thinking is hard work. There's effort in thinking. Maybe you're different, but 
the, the hard work of thinking. Maybe these believers, rather than do that about the, the newfound freedom that they've seen and they've come to understand in Jesus, maybe these believers in this early church, maybe, they, maybe they'd rather just go to the root, through the routine of going to synagogue. You know, they were, they, were, they were good little Jewish boys and girls, and they came to understand who Jesus was as the fulfillment of all the things they had learned in synagogue. But you know, now maybe they're just content to go to synagogue. They're content to go with the routine of synagogue just to kind of show up and go with what they know rather than have to do the hard part of thinking about the claims that Jesus makes. They just kind of show up and, and, they, and then they begin to rely on their old traditions. They begin to rely on their old past experiences. And, and, and then what happens as they slowly get re-immersed in these older things, then, then Jesus kind of starts to fade back into the hedgerow, back into the woodwork. Jesus possibly becomes a byword. And you know, maybe at times we fall into that same kind of rhythm. Rather than do the hard work of discovering or rediscovering the words of Jesus and, and seeing what the, the whole of Scripture says, maybe we fall into a routine. And, and perhaps when we begin to fall into a routine where we, we may not have a faith relationship that's consistent. I'm not saying, well, every morning at 6 o'clock you've got to open up your Bible, but if we don't regularly talk to the Lord in prayer, or we're not reminded of the promises that are made in Scripture, then what happens? We begin to question our sense of blessing and peace. We wonder about, is God real? If I haven't talked to God in a while, then I begin to listen to other voices. And I question my sense of peace with the Lord. And, and so Paul says, this is the only thing I want to find out from you, church. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? And this hearing with faith, I'm going to talk about that for just a second. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says to the church, he says, after listening to the message of truth, that's the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, once you've listened to it and you've believed it, Paul says, what happens, you become sealed in him. You become sealed in the Lord with the Holy Spirit. And what happens when you hear this message of the gospel and you believe it, you trust it, you become sealed in Jesus by the Holy Spirit, and this is actually a down payment. It's a first installment of our inheritance, our heavenly inheritance. At whichever point of life any of you trusted in the claims that Jesus makes about Him taking away your sin, at that point, you heard through faith 
whether you might have been reading the Scripture, you might have been in a Bible study, you might have been talking to a parent or a pastor, and what happens at that moment when you believe what you've heard, and it's the gospel, (laughs) then you become sealed in the Lord at that point. The Holy Spirit not only seals you, but the Holy Spirit is a down payment of the heavenly award which awaits you. That's the beauty of the hearing by faith. It's hearing the gospel and believing by faith in the claims that the gospel makes. And, And how did Paul come to the gospel? Well, as we know, Paul encountered the risen Jesus on the Damascus Road. And Paul, really, he begins to preach after his conversion. And it becomes obvious in the book of Acts. We looked at the first 15 chapters in the book of Acts. We began to see that that Paul preaches almost immediately. And and what he's preaching, he's preaching Jesus as the fulfillment of all that he had learned in in the Old Testament. What we term as our Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And and, and Paul, Paul knows the word. And the Lord has shown Paul that Jesus is the Lord of the Word. He's the fulfillment of all of it. And the Spirit has anointed Paul, and Paul is now doing gospel ministry. And and in the the same fashion, the Lord's Spirit. When we're talking about the things of God, we're talking about Scripture, you know, the Lord's Spirit becomes manifest to us. Whether we're reading it, we're teaching it, we're praying it, the Holy Spirit is at work. He's at work this morning. When you open your Bibles, whether you're reading Psalm 1 or you're looking at Galatians chapter 3, the Holy Spirit is at work. And, and so when Paul, he's talking about this hearing of the faith, the hearing of the word. All right, so this idea of, of, of the works of the law, I told you we'd come to it. Paul is not disregarding the law. It's God's word. He's not disregarding it. But what Paul is speaking of is our attempt to come through the law without Jesus. And and the works of the law is the grind. The grind. It's it's our feeble attempt to, to earn our place in front of the Lord. This idea, well, if I could be better, if I could be better, if I could be more of this and less of this. If only I could be enough. Or if I've got, and you've heard this, maybe you've said it. I'm not going to go to church until I have some things in my life straightened out. See, that's a work of the law. Romans 5, 8 tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Jesus is the one who puts it together, not us. But see, our attempt is, is the grind. And, and in the case of many of these early believers, it's this inability to move away from the Jewish peer pressure system of, of, of circumcision or temple sacrificial system, all the sacrifices that had to be made. We see that in Exodus and beyond. All these things which are part of it. And, and there's a writer named Nicky Gumbel, and he uses this phrase, a multiplication a multiplication of sacrifices regarding all of the work that had to go into temple sacrifice. We don't have to worry about 
that multiplication of sacrifices now because Jesus is our sacrifice. He's the full and final sacrifice, and, and, and he's paid that, and there's no longer a need for all of these other ones. We can know blessing and we can know peace because of Jesus' work. And then Paul says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You see, God through His Holy Spirit has called out to you and me. Through the revelation, that reality of the presence of sin in all our lives, He's pointed that out. He's revealed our sin and our need to have our sin dealt with through Jesus. Through the work of Jesus. And so Paul is now saying, on this spiritual journey which you've started, which the Lord has called you out, are you now taking back the reins from the Lord? Are you, are you jumping back into the driver's seat? Did, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain, to, to come through this journey of faith and suffering and hardship all the way to now forsake Jesus, who's been the object of your trust? We, we saw in Acts that, that Paul and Barnabas and these other ones, they've been persecuted by the Jews as they've traveled from, through areas like Antioch and Iconium. And, and Paul even says in Acts 14, he says that, that it's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. It's, there's going to be suffering. Paul says, So does he who provides you with the Spirit and work miracles among you does he do it by these works of the law or the hearing of the faith? Here we are again. He compares this hearing of the faith versus the works of the flesh. Paul talks about working miracles. Miracles happen. The, the early church witnessed miracles continuously. and We have seen the work of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and, and we've talked of Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road. And, and God is the, is the author, the provider of the Holy Spirit. And sub, subsequent miraculous interventions and activity. So question, do we believe that God still works miracles? Your pastor does. Do we believe this part of the identity of God? This part we, we read of in Scripture. Is it simply reading the words... Or is it hearing my faith? Is it believing and trusting what God's Word says to be true? Or is it just black and white words on a page there out in the, in the pew? Do we hear it with the faith enough to trust it? If we simply just read the black and the white and flip the page, we leave the faith portion out. And then verse 6, we see the following. Just as Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul knows his audience. And Paul brings up Abraham. And so you sit out there and you're wondering, why in the world does Paul bring up Abraham? And I'm going to explain a little bit about Abraham, and then I'm going to actually cut the text in half uh, and I'm going to preach the rest of this as part two next week because I, I need to share something that I shared with, 
with our first hour about this. Abraham is, is the father of the nation of Israel. And the reason that we are here today is because of a promise that God made to Abraham way back in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, the Lord says to Abraham, or as he was known at that point, Abram, there's a reason for his name change, but, but the Lord speaks to Abram and says, Go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. Leave from there and go to a land which I will show you. And then he says, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram does what the Lord tells him. He's 75 years young. <laughs> Amen. He departs from Haran. He takes his wife Sarah, who's just a little bit younger, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And the Lord appears to Abram and he says, To your descendants I give this land. And Abram builds an altar. Well, three chapters later, in Genesis 15, the word of the Lord comes to Abram in a vision and he says, Abram, don't fear, I'm a shield about you. A shield to you and your reward will be very great. And, and Abram says, well, Lord, what will you give me since I'm childless? He's 75. He is Sarah's barren. No children. And the Lord is talking about, he's going to, how's this going to work? What will you give me since I'm childless and I've got a servant in my house who's going to be my legal heir, Eleazar? And the Lord says to Abram, he says, the man, this man Eleazar, is not going to be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Whew, can you imagine? God takes Abram outside and he says, Look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you're able to count them, summers I spent on Clater Lake with my grandparents and on beautiful, clear summer nights, you could stand and you could look up and you could see countless stars. I'm sure like being out here away from Bedford proper, you can look up and see countless stars. And God says to Abram, look up and see that, and, and that's going to be your number of descendants. And then we see that Abram believed the Lord. And the Lord credits it to Abram as righteousness. Abram comes up in conversation lots of times. See, that's just the very beginning of the story of Abram. Abram comes up. Abram is a topic of conversation, and Abram comes up at the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 3, what happens? John the Baptist, you know, the, the guy that dresses like Tarzan, he's out there baptizing. The one who, he's Jesus' cousin and he has the privilege and the responsibility of baptizing Jesus. But right before that, what happens? You have all these religious leaders come out to the River Jordan and, and John is out there baptizing 
for repentance of sins. And so you have these Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes and all the religious hoity-toity of that day who were all about these works of the law, the grind. And they said, well, you know, fortunately, we don't have to worry about this baptism because we are children of Abraham. There are some of those descendants because they're part of that that racial inclusion of Jewish society, right? And to boot, man, they, they're trained in all the religious ways, blah, blah, blah. Well, John, kind of like Paul entreated the Galatian church, you foolish Galatians, what John the Baptist says to these religious leaders, he calls them a brood of vipers. How's that for a kind greeting? Calls them a brood of vipers. And he says, just because you're children of Abraham, that doesn't prepare you for the judgment that's coming. Why am I sharing this? Well, I'll tell you. This morning, <laughs> we're, all, we're getting ready to come to church, and I tell my wife, I said, Paul is hard to preach. She said, why is Paul hard to preach? And I said, well, the thing about Paul is Paul is speaking to his congregation, but he's always bringing this stuff up from the past like Abraham. And I said, we have the res- I have the responsibility of trying to bring folks to why Abraham's important. And then it dawned on me. Ding! Holy Spirit moment. When Paul would come to a city, Paul would go to the synagogue first to preach Jesus as the fulfillment of everything that God had shared in the Old Testament. And when he shared Jesus as as that, then what happens? You have these Jews in the synagogue, they come to Christian faith. These are long-time churchgoers. They, albeit they've been going to the Jewish synagogue, but it's your ready-made folks who understand all of the claims of what Scripture says because they were good little Jewish boys and girls. They grew up in temple, they grew up in synagogue, and here comes this guy Paul, who was a former Pharisee, but now he's preaching about Jesus, and now we're going to see who Jesus is. So that's what happens when Paul first comes to the city. He goes to the synagogue. Well, then... When synagogue is over and everybody goes to lunch, (laughs) he goes into the downtown city and he's talking to these non-Jews, these Gentiles, us. And he begins to tell about Jesus. And you have some of these Gentiles come to belief and faith in Jesus. And so what happens, you've got a ready-made church of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians put together like these churches in Galatia. They're made up of folks who have heard all of the religious traditions and know all of the religious language. They are racial children of Abraham because of they, they're, they're Israelites. 
But then you've got this part here where this is all new. And it's the claims of the gospel, Jesus being one who's come to bring salvation and to bring completion, to to restore a relationship, to forgive sin, and to provide hope and, and resurrection and eternal life. And so you have all of this group together. Friends, what does this sound like? This sounds like the church in 2022. This is why Paul's word is more applicable than ever for the church. And this is why. We know of folks who've just come to the faith. They're figuring things out for the first time. But then you've got folks who maybe have been a part of the church for a long time, and sometimes we get caught up in the works of the law. Let me give you another example. Children of Abraham. My great-grandfather was a blacksmith. And he was called to the gospel ministry sometime in the first part of the 20th century. I've got a picture in my office, and it's one of my most valued possessions, of my great-grandfather baptizing a bunch of people in a river. Somewhere, I think, in Pennsylvania. But he was a preacher with the Church of God of Prophecy. That's part of my spiritual heritage. Isn't that cool? All right, his son-in-law, my grandfather, sang and played guitar, and he was a, in the 1930s, they didn't use the term worship leader, but he was a worship leader with the Church of God of Prophecy. So it would be very easy for me to say, okay, my, great, my great-grandfather was a Christian, and my grandfather, his son-in-law, was a Christian and around the things of God, so that must mean that I'm okay. It's in, my, it's in my family blood, so I can believe on their faith. It's part of my heritage. And it would be very easy for me to do that. Just like it would be very easy if someone has maybe grown up around the things of God or had grandparents who did this or that or or missionaries, well, because it's in my bloodline, then that means I've got a right standing before God. But friends, if that's where I stayed, relying and believing on what my great-grandfather preached and what my grandfather sang, that makes me no better than one of these Pharisees saying, I don't need to deal with sin because I'm a child of Abraham. No. Abraham's faith is his own. Friends, just like your faith is your own and my faith is my own, I had to come to a point of understanding that Jesus came to deal with sin. He came to deal with my sin. Can't deal with your sin and 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 your sin. And that's the beautiful thing about having a relationship with Jesus. It is a personal thing, but it's a corporate thing because Jesus came to deal with sin. Jesus came to be Lord of his church. And as we move forward in Galatians next week, When you see these words, children of Abraham, know that for 2022, that means the traditional church and the routines of the traditional church. Jesus came to bust that wide open. 
You see, we're called to be a gospel-proclaiming, preaching church, reaching the unchurched. And we've always got to be about that, regardless if it looks different than it always has, or it may function different than it has historically. We're called to be the living, breathing, gospel-preaching, gospel-singing church that impacts our community. And we don't want to be those children of Abraham that want to adhere to these things which may be more preferences than anything else.